continue in worship this morning, and uh, I'm thankful that you're with us wherever we go. Lord, it would be hard to praise you if you couldn't hear us, and it would be hard to rely on you if you were not with us, but you are with us always, even to the ends of the earth, and as we look at that great passage this morning, we pray that you would make your presence and your power all the more known and felt and real in our lives. Lord, I pray that this morning would not be just a single sermon or single service that we feel good and go home, but it would truly be one that communicates your truth in a life-changing way that speaks to our hearts, is memorable, is enjoyable, is convicting, is encouraging, is comforting, uh, that makes us strong, Lord, not because we are strong, but because you are El Shaddai, you are Almighty God. We praise you and thank you, and according to your person and character, we pray. Amen. Welcome here, Midland Free. Hey, my name is Jeremy Lobdell. I'm glad you're here to worship. If you're in person, welcome. So glad you're here. If you're joining us online, thank you. Thank you for staying consistent and being tuned in. We look forward to the time where we can all be together in person again. If you're just joining us, if you're new, if you're a visitor, what we've been doing the last couple of weeks is we've been working through sort of a little mini recap of our mission and vision that we launched recently. Um, we're focusing on the three E's um, to enjoy, embrace, and engage. And you'll see those um, throughout our facility. Those different words will be um, on different displays and things like that. And what our hope is, is that it just becomes intrinsic or part of our DNA is who we are as a body and a congregation and a group, a team, a church, that this will be who we are. And so let me remind you of our big picture aspirational vision, our goal for the future, where we'd like to be, but we'll probably never arrive, but it's what we're shooting for. And it's this, we aspire to be a gospel-centered family, the gospel first and foremost, that's it, the good news of Jesus, where everyone we encounter moves closer to Jesus every day. We don't expect you to be perfect, I'm not, you're not, we're not, but we do hope that in this journey, as we walk alongside of one another, that together we will each grow one step closer to Jesus. Sometimes it's three steps forward, two steps back, sometimes the other way around. But either way, we're all trying to move closer to Christ. And the way we do that is through our mission. Our mission Our mission says we enjoy and glorify God, sermon from two weeks ago. We embrace his word last week, and this week... We're going to focus on the third E, engaging the world. We engage the world. Let uh, We engage the world. So where else would I go as a Bible-believing Christian and pastor to talk about engaging the world but that last little section in Matthew which we call the Great Commission. Exactly right. If you've never heard that term before, no worries. I'm going to change it today anyway, so don't worry about it. Um, That's what I like to do. It's kind of fun, actually, when you study scripture. Time out. When you study the word, often you find that many of your preconceived ideas or notions or concepts are 
a little off or completely false, one or the other. And I don't want to say that the Great Commission is non-biblical. It is, by all means. But I want to reframe how we think of it. For example, you've heard me do this before when I talk, for example, about the Lord's Prayer. I've often said that the Lord's Prayer we should actually call the Disciples' Prayer. I might have heard one person say it. I'll have to preach that sermon again. We'll try that one again. The Lord's Prayer should be the Disciples' Prayer because it was the one the Lord was teaching the disciples to pray. It's their prayer, not his. He doesn't confess his sins. Jesus never has to say, forgive me my debts as I forgive others. He never said that. That's our prayer, not his. His prayer is John 17, which we actually looked at last week. Uh, But so a lot of things we do, you know, they're traditions. They should be examined in light of scripture. Today, we look at the great commission that call or impetus on us as followers of Jesus Christ to share the good news with everyone we encounter and everyone across the globe. But what we learn is that I think that the Great Commission should be called perhaps something different. And the reason for it is this, and we'll, we'll unfold it a little bit more as we go. But let's start with this. Here's the great revelation for today. Are you ready? The book of Matthew, or the gospel of Matthew, is a book. <laughs> it's a book, believe it or not. It is, and that's, I know that's a little bit, um, you know, self-explanatory. But here's the thing. A book has a beginning and an end, right? And a book also has a main character, And a book not only has a beginning and an end, it has a main character, it has a theme, it has a plot, it has complication in the middle. And all these complications and encounters are supposed to add up and come together to form a central idea. And the idea of Matthew is not that we are on a mission. That's not the idea of Matthew. The idea of Matthew is that Jesus Christ is the only begotten son of the living God and the king of the world. The focus is on Jesus. It's not on us. This book is all about him. Big picture, it's on Christ. So when it starts, guess who it starts talking about? Jesus. John begins like this. He says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Matthew begins with the genesis, or the genealogy, or the birth or beginnings of Jesus. You see, all those things are connected and they go together. Matthew begins with Jesus. Matthew ends with Jesus. In the middle of the complication and all that, surround Jesus. And so what you see when you look at this commission is you'll see even these few verses in the last chapter are framed by Jesus. Both his authority and power and his presence. Inclusio, the the bookends, the caps on both sides of this commission mean that it is not about us and what we do, but it is about him and what he did and what he empowers us to do on account of who he is. The book is all about Christ. So what happens is this. Think of it in a different term. Think of Think of it in military terms, if you will, right? You get a command, you get a commission, you have marching orders, you're on mission. 
When you're going to carry out that mission, you need to be sure that the person who told you to do what you're going to do has authority to say that, to do that. And if they have that authority, then you're like, yes, sir. And someone says, no, don't do that. You're like, hang on. No, I'm under command. I'm under orders. No, this is what we're going to do. Because my Lord, my authority, my boss, my CEO, whatever, he told me do this. And so I said, yes, sir. And whatever comes in the way of that, it's got to move aside. Because I'm under orders. So too with the apostles. Let me just show you this and then we'll read the text. Acts chapter 5, they run into a similar thing. You know, they've been sent. That's what it means to be an apostle. They've been sent. They've been commissioned by Jesus. They've been told to go talk about him and tell about him. And they're arrested. And when they had brought them together, they set them before the council. And the high priest questioned them saying, Hey, now, we strictly charge you not to teach in his name. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. And you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles replied... We must obey God rather than man. Why? Because they're under authority. They're under commission. They're under command. They have a higher authority. So what happens in this text in Matthew chapter 28 verses 16 through 20 is that it is framed by two things. And I want to show you those two things today and how they impact our mission and how they empower us and encourage us in everyday life. Two things are, number one, Jesus' authority. That's the first point we'll talk about today, his authority. And number two, Jesus' presence. His authority and his presence. If you need a mnemonic device, you could say his power and his presence. This Greek word is often translated power, often translated authority. It goes back and forth. But I think what really we should focus on today is the authority aspect here. Authority and presence. Jesus' authority and presence. All right, Matthew chapter 28. I think we've set that up well enough. Let's read it together. Beginning in the first, sorry, the 16th verse of the 28th chapter. This is the very end of the book of Matthew. It says this. Now the 11 disciples. Hey, wait, I thought there were 12. Well, there were, but one is done now and we're going to find another to replace him they went to galilee and that's an important geographical marker you can learn more about it in your life group questions it has to do with all nations and gentiles but they went there to the mountain listen to this to which jesus had directed them or already figured out or appointed and when they saw him that's jesus they worshiped him but some doubted And Jesus came to them and said, here's the first point, all authority, all authority, every single authority that there possibly could ever, 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 ever be in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus. Go therefore on account of that authority because of that, therefore, subsequently, this follows from that, go And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, here's point number two. I am with you. I am with you. Jesus is with you. Always. To the ends of the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
So number one, Christ's authority. Number two, Christ's presence. Now I hinted at earlier as we read through that, the importance of the geographical markers. I know we're in a different place in a different time. And so some of these things feel a little bit obscure to us. We read Bible names and sometimes it will But let me assure you, the Bible is written the way it is like that on purpose. Every single word, every single obscure name, everything we don't figure out, understand is inspired and inerrant and put there on purpose by God himself. So in this text, let me show you a couple really cool things about the geographical markers. I'm not just nerding or geeking out here. This is for you in your life. Um, you can look at the Galilee thing in the life group questions, but let's point to this first one, a mountain, a mountain. How many of you have ever been to a real mountain before? Okay. How many of you have ever been to the UP? Okay. We know there's a difference, right? All right. Two people laughed. I love the UP. It's beautiful, right? They're big hills, but they're not exactly what I would call a mountain. You might find a mountain in Colorado or the Andes or the Alps or someplace like that. Above the tree line, snow-capped, incredible grandeur and beauty. Mystic, majestic, wow, awe. How many of you have been there? I've been there too, and they're so beautiful. And as you look at our history, even as humans, what we see is that human beings are attracted to mountains. You can look at these old things in the Andes and places like that where there's ancient Mayan temples set on top of the mountain. When you read the Old Testament, you hear about them off, you know, worshiping pagan gods at the high places. There's something just incredible about being up high and seeing how small we are and how big our world is. And you look at the stars and get even more overwhelmed. In the Bible, mountains are there to communicate the majesty of God and the significance of the encounter. Think of this. Listen to these names. If you know them, great. If you don't, look them up later. In the Old Testament, certain mountains show up. Like, for example... Gerizim, Gilboa, Hermon, Nebo, Tabor, Horeb, Sinai, and Seir. In the New Testament, you have mountains like the Mount of Olives and Zion. If none of those names ring a bell to you, think of it like this. This is where Abraham was called to sacrifice his only son. This is where God revealed himself to Moses first in a burning bush and then with the Ten Commandments. This is where Elijah called down fire from heaven on the prophets of Baal. This is where Jesus preached the greatest sermon ever. The sermon on the mount. This is where God revealed his glory in the transfiguration. Mountains are a big deal. Jesus chose this place on purpose. Leading into the Great Commission, he's going to give them some very specific directions. And they're told to go to this mountain. God himself will meet them on the mountain. This is big. This is really big. 
This is bigger than any of those other things that I just described. Because in this moment, they have the living, resurrected, only begotten son of the living God standing right next to them on the mountain. Here it comes. What's he going to say? Something big. Matthew 28. Matthew 28, verse 18. Jesus comes to them and says, All, 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 all. Do you know what the Greek word for all is? All. All. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus. This is the stuff that dictators and despots dream of. Unquestioning, unflinching, unyielding, unbending, unstoppable, absolute totalitarian authority. One commentator says it like this. He says, there is no one thing or no one who can limit Jesus's freedom. Jesus's authority is so extensive that he can do anything he wants at any time whatsoever. Think about it. The middle of the book. What happened? Well, there's something about walking on water and demons and sickness and fish and Satan and death. Wait a minute. Say what? What I mean is this. If I go to the swimming pool this summer, I'm hoping the pool will be open again. and We'll be splashing around and having a grand old time. And I step out from the edge into the deep end. Plum. I'm going straight to the bottom. And the water is going to surround me. And the water is going to look up at me. And the water is going to laugh at me. And the water is going to say, ha ha, you can't do that. Try it again, buddy. See what goes. But Jesus, on the other hand, he steps out of the boat. Steps onto the water. And the water says. And Jesus says. And the water says. But the rule is. The laws of nature say. And Jesus is like. Rules don't apply to me. Neither do the laws of nature. I wrote them. I can break them. Whatever I want. Here we go. Water. Boom, 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 boom. No thing. Well, 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 what about fish? How many of you in here are fishermen? Let me see. Is there any fishermen in here? Okay, good. All right. I appreciate honesty. I saw someone back there go like this. That's kind of how it is with me. Like if the fish are biting, I'm a fisherman. If the fish aren't, I'm not. I spent a lot of days as a kid praying the fish would bite. Come on, Lord, on this one, please. I promise I'll be good. I'll be nice to my brother. I'll respect my mother. Just one big one like I saw on TV. No. Okay, maybe next cast. Come on, Lord. Doesn't work like that for me. As it turns out, the fish seem to have authority over me. I can't get them to do anything. They don't obey me. They don't listen to me. They do what they want. But if none of these other miracles strike you, if you're a fisherman, this one should. That Jesus can command the fish to do whatever he wants, whenever they want, even in the off season when it's hot and sunny and they're way down deep, but not biting, whatever. Jesus says, fish, into the boat they go. Well, what about sickness? 
Look, I'm thankful. I'm thankful for modern medicine. My dad was a doctor. You know, I appreciate how far it's come. We hear about modern procedures and what they can do, and it's absolutely astounding. I'm so thankful for all the people that have dedicated their lives from the beginning to the end of helping others. But the reality is we still have not conquered sickness. We all get sick, and we all die. But Jesus... And this is incredible. You bump into him and you get better. Like literally you rub shoulders with him and all of a sudden you're healed. Why? Because his perfection is like spilling over. He can't in his human state and in his resurrected sick. He, uh, sickness is no thing. It has no authority to him. Well, what about demons? They're pretty scary. I mean, demons are really scary, actually. And, and it's my personal belief that demons can't indwell Christians because of the presence of the Holy Spirit. But we know they can certainly attack us and they can come after us and they have power and they're scary. And it's possible you may have even encountered someone who's not a Christian who's been experiencing demonic oppression. They are scary. And most of us want to step back and say, "Woo, <laughs> power from another world. Don't want to get into that. But Jesus, then he shows up on the scene and they fall down in front of him. They call out for mercy and they beg to go off into a herd of pigs. They are frightened by his very presence. And what about death itself? I mean, that's the big one, right? There's two rules in life, death and taxes. Both of those are certain. Even death itself. Jesus is dead. He's not in a swoon. He's not in a coma. He is in the grave. But even death itself can't say to him, hey, you have to stay here. He's like, time's up. Done. Wait, wait, wait. What about death? It has no authority over him. Death cannot say to Jesus, you have to stay. Death can say to me, you have to stay. Death can say to us, you have to stay. But only Jesus has the authority to turn right back around and look at death and say no. You have no authority over him. Look at what this says in Matthew chapter 11, verse 27. Jesus really means it. Earlier in the book, he's been working towards this, the whole book. This is not something he just unveiled at the end. In chapter 11, verse 27, he says, All things, all things have been handed over to me by my Father. He has comprehensive, sovereign authority over the entire universe that he created. It's his. He made it. We broke it. He'll fix it. But it is his. This type of authority simply doesn't exist at the human level. Nature, storms, storms come up to Jesus And they try to rage against him. And in Mark chapter 4 verse 39. He says to them peace be still. And they stop. Just doesn't work like this for me and you. But here's the wild thing. As you start to look at that. What you realize is. When Jesus speaks. Stuff happens. It's as though it was. The very voice of God. Who could call out to the waters, peace be still. Who call out to the dead, get up. This is the birth or beginning or genealogy or genesis 
beginnings of Jesus. Genesis chapter 1 verse 3 says, God spoke and God said, let there be light. And there was light. Of course there was. Because that's what God said. Jesus says, be still. And it's still. Of course it was. Because that's what God said. Do you see the connection? His authority means he commands everyone and everything absolutely. Number one, Jesus' authority. I'll come back to the encouraging piece about that for us here in just a moment. But let me emphasize another part. His presence. So all authority has been given to him, number one. Number two, his presence. Let's walk this back a little. Remember I said it's a book, so it's a con- there's a context around these verses. We're not just pulling one out and making up stuff. Go back a few verses to verse 16. It says, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee. Again, there's that Galilee thing. To the mountain which Jesus had directed them. Oh, so Jesus, yes, he's planning this out. Step back a little further. Verse 10. What happened was Jesus said to them, do not be afraid after the resurrection. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. Go back a little further. Remember what the angels said. Verse 7. Here's the message. I like it on this verse. It says this. Now get on your way quickly and tell his disciples that he's risen from the dead and he's going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him. One of my favorite Greek words in the entire entire New Testament only occurs like five times. And it's called the archagos. The archagos. Arche is arch, like you would have archbishop or the highest ruler. Agos is the go-before. So it gives the idea of this great, huge, powerful, majestic person or presence that goes before. And what it says then in Acts chapter 5, 31, when it talks about Jesus and his resurrection, it says, God exalted him at his right hand as the archagos or leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and the forgiveness of sins. In Acts 3, 15, it calls him the archagos or author of life. In Hebrews 2, 10, the founder of salvation. In Hebrews 12, 2, the founder and perfecter of our faith. So what does that mean, Pastor Jeremy? Just that you think it's a cool word? No. Here's the thing. Listen to this incredible application that affects your life and mine. Jesus told the disciples, go to Galilee and what? Wait for me there. I'll meet you there. I'm going ahead of you. Jesus goes before us. He is our archagos. And what you see in the New Testament is that wherever the Lord calls you, he always goes first. Is that not an encouraging fact or what? When you have difficult calling on your life, when there's some place you need to go that you don't want to go, when there's something ahead of you that's a challenge, but you feel the Holy Spirit leading you into this, when you are suffering, when you're afraid, when you're lonely, in the dark, and you're asking for help, God got there first. He's going ahead of you. He is your archagos. And right here, it's, he's doing it. He's doing what he says he, will do, says he will do to the disciples. The angels are telling him, look, he's going on ahead of you. Whenever God calls us to something, he goes before us. 
He is our archagos. And so we continue this theme and you see it building throughout the book of Matthew that Jesus is not only going before us, but he is with us. I can remember the first time I really had this verse hit home and it was in the fifth grade when I was getting on the bus, going to a new school and scared to death. And I don't know why I was a Christian school. I had my Bible in my backpack or something. But I was reading through it and I came across this. And I may have missed everything else. But I saw this in Matthew chapter 28, 20. Where Jesus says, behold, I am with you. I am with you. Always. Even to the end of the world. I met some little girl that day be cool if her name was Robin, wasn't it? It's not. But she asked me my favorite verse, and I said, I think it's this. And she said, me too. And I'm kind of wondering if I shouldn't just go back there and say, yeah, this is my favorite verse, that Jesus will be with me always. Why is that such a big deal? Because that's the theme and message of the book. Look at the beginning in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, where it says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. She'll bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus. He will save his people from her sin. And this will fulfill what was spoken by the Lord and the prophet Isaiah. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name, which means... Oh, wow. Look at that. So the prophet Isaiah, beginning of the book of Matthew, God with us, the end of the book of Matthew, Jesus says, I will be with you always. Emmanuel, im with manu us el God. The prophet, the prophecy has been fulfilled. Jesus is with us. You know what? Here's, a, here's something that I hope we can get there. I know it's a little hard because I'm a very tactile person. I like to touch things or feel things and I get it. Like we're in a physical world. Well, some of us who are this way have perhaps erroneously at times said, man, wouldn't it be so much easier if Jesus was right here with me? We should never say that. Because he is. As a result of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the omnipresent, indwelling, supernatural power of his Holy Spirit, we have God's presence with us. That's the promise of Isaiah, of Matthew, and Christ himself. That Emmanuel has come. His presence is here. And as a result, I could take those things and put them together and be so empowered and encourage, and it's unbelievable. I'm on mission. Christ, authority is behind that mission. Others may challenge that or call it into question, but the reality is no one can question Christ. His authority rules overall. And so it's not my authority, it's not our church's authority, but it's Christ's authority that we go into this thing and say, boom, here we stand. Just like the apostles before us. And so too his presence. We feel his power. But we also feel the encouragement and comfort of his presence. And these are the two things that frame the great commission. This is what it makes it so great. It's not that it's such a great commission. But it's a great 
commissioner. Jesus is the focus, and I hope you get that. If you get nothing else from the sermon, just see Jesus here. But particularly his authority and his presence that go with us even to the ends of the world. For some people, this means, okay, I'm going to have a bad day. I'm going to have a difficult week. I'm going to a difficult conversation. But I know that God is with me. For others, it means I am unseen. What I'm doing seems small. Nobody has any idea. But God sees and he's with me. For others, it seems that others always get the better breaks and they're bragging about what they got. They're so much better and my older brother's bigger and my younger brother's smaller and blah, blah, blah. But God is with you. Whatever situation you're in, wherever he's called you to, he goes before you, he is with you, and it's his authority and power that pull us through. Matthew chapter 28, verse 16 and 20 say, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. And Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, based on that authority, go and make disciples of all nations by baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Spirit, and teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded you. And behold, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. Midland Free, as we aspire to be a gospel-centered family, as we seek to enjoy and glorify God, as we challenge one another and challenge ourselves to embrace his word, the only way to engage his world, to live Make it through is through the authority and presence of Christ. That's big, mountain big. Father, we thank you and praise you for Jesus, your son. Thank you for his authority. No one can tell him no. And I pray, God, that as we live our lives, we would continually say yes to him. We would follow him and love him and serve him. All the days of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.